You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his <coughs> male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. God in heaven, we come at this time and asking that you would please be present with us as we seek to understand and apply your law, that the Spirit of God would convict us of sin and teach us of righteousness, and that sinners be saved, your church be edified, and that you would anoint the hearing and preaching of your word. Oh, how we are dependent upon you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the moral law of God. This is the constitution of reality. This is simply, if you, if you want to live in reality, in the world that God made, the way that God intended you to live in the world that God made, then you live by the Ten Commandments. You try to live in obedience to them. This is, this, these are teachers. This is a guide. This is an instructor. This is wisdom for life. Ten Commandments are wisdom for life. They are the unchanging, abiding um, law of God. Uh, but the Ten Commandments, while they teach you, the Ten Commandments cannot save you. One of the things the Ten Commandments teach you is that you are indeed a sinner. And you need forgiveness for your sins. And so you need to come to Jesus Christ. What the Ten Commandments should do is they should drive you to Christ. You come to the law of God and you realize how much of a sinner you are the law teaches you that, then you go to Christ for your forgiveness. Every time you feel the conviction of sin, that's what you should do. You should run to Jesus. You shouldn't get your defense mechanisms up. You don't need to wallow in it. You run to Christ. 
And he promises that he, those who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. He is the righteousness of God. He's the propitiation for our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So go to Christ when you've come under the conviction of sin. We remain in the seventh commandment. I'll do this week and next week in the seventh commandment, and then we, God willing, will move on. <clears throat> but we've been in the seventh commandment. This is the longest I think I've parked on one of the commandments because I think it's so important, it's so foundational. And the seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. What it forbids, the, it commands the opposite duty. So it forbids the committing of adultery while it commands the opposite duty. So you should esteem marriage. That would be an opposite duty. You, you should be intimate within your own marriage. That would be the opposite duty of committing adultery. You should protect and cultivate your marriage. You should protect and cultivate your marriage. You should, if you can, you should get married, although I don't think that's a morally binding commandment because some will live in singleness, but I think that marriage is a normal and good thing to be desired, and most people will get married. And the commandment you shall not commit adultery is, is a commandment to love your wife and to love your husband. So the prohibition against adultery is simply one way to love your wife and your husband. But that's not the only way. There are many ways that God's commanded you to love your wife and to love your husband. And so I've been focusing on the duty bound up within the prohibition, the opposite expectation bound up in the prohibition. I've spoken on the beauty of marriage, spent a whole sermon talking about the beauty of marriage, and marriage is really a beautiful thing. It's designed to be so. Then I spent two Sundays talking about the purpose of marriage, and God has a purpose in marriage. I talked about that. And last Sunday, of course, I spent talking about finding a spouse, and I hope that was beneficial to you. Here's what I'm going to do today. This is all going to be wrapped up in the aspect of protecting and cultivating your marriage, building into your marriage. Cultivating your marriage with wise communication. That's what I'm talking about today. Next week, what I'm going to talk about is cultivating your marriage with forgiveness and reconciliation and avoiding bitterness. That'll be next week. But this week, I'm talking about wise communication. Now, the minute you hear wise communication, you should understand that that applies to all of life. Because if you're a human being, you're communicating with other human beings. And so while the application today is zeroing in on marriage, the application obviously is much broader. And you're wise people. You'll be able to make the applications into other areas of life. One of the ways to protect your marriage and to cultivate your marriage, one of the ways to love your wife and one of the ways to love your husband is by disciplining yourself to communicate properly. So much of love in marriage is communicated by simply communication, words, listening, proper communication skills. And this has implications for all of life, but specifically for marriage. My observation is that most marriage problems center around communication issues. If the communication issues are solved, then the other issues are solved. 
If people just learn how to communicate with each other, then they have the tools at their disposal to solve the other issues that will arise in their marriages. And so what I'm trying to give you today is the tools to solve the other issues that will arise in your marriage. And the tools that you need to do that are the tools of communication. And really very simple principles that we get from Scripture. So I think most marriage problems come from bad communication, foolish communication. If couples had good communication, they would solve most of their problems. Now, no marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect on this side of the Garden of Eden. And so you will have problems in your marriage. You'll have issues that come up, and some issues more serious than others, some issues less serious than others, but communication will help you wade through the issues if you learn how to communicate right, properly, and with great wisdom and insight. The communication will help you take care of the other issues. This has been my observation. This has been my experience, and usually when I'm trying to help people with their marriage and they have some very significant issues, those significant issues are typically arising after years and years and years of bad communication. They just never learn proper communication skills, and then things start to boil over, spill over, and you've got a big hairball being coughed up, and somehow you've got to untangle the hairball. But the way you don't under, you can't untangle the hairball without communication. So this has to be front and center. And I think communication is so important to us because God is a communicating God. The first pages of Scripture tell us that he did what? To create the world. He spoke the world into existence. So after we learn on the first pages of Scripture that God exists, we see that God is a communicator. He speaks, he communicates, he creates with his words. You will create a home, most of which will come by your words. You can destroy your home with your words and you can build your home with your words. And God created the Garden of Eden and the entire universe with his words. So we come to the pages of scripture and we find immediately after we find out that God exists, and after we find out that he is a creator, we find out that he, God Almighty, is a communicating God. He speaks. Not only that, he's given us a Bible. Why did he give us the Bible? He gave us a Bible because he wants to communicate. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know how to relate to him, and he wants us to know how to relate to each other, and he wants us to know how to live in the world that he's made. God is a communicating God. He communicates to us. We find that on the first pages of Scripture, and we find the very fact that he gave us a Bible. He communicates. And we find it in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Word of God who became flesh. John 1 tells us. The second person of the Trinity is called the Word. And the Word became flesh. And when the Word became flesh, what do we have but the greatest revelation of God? God communicating to us through His person, the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ became flesh, God became flesh, the Word became flesh, and God communicates perfectly through Christ. So God is a communicating God. Communication is foundational. He communicates to us. He tells us that he's a communicator on the first pages of Scripture. Right after we find out that he's God, we find out that this God communicates. He speaks. He's not a silent God. Do you know this is a big difference between our God and the gods of the nations? The gods of the nations are silent. There are statues that they've made. They have eyes that do not see and mouths that do not speak and ears that do not hear. The idols of the nations. But the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a God who speaks. That's one of the first things he wants us to know about him. He's a God who wrote, gave us the Bible, which is God speaking to us on the pages of Scripture. He's communicating to us, and then he has given us this great climactic revelation in Jesus Christ, his Son, whom he sent. God is a God who speaks. And the God who speaks has created us in his image. We are his image bearers. And as his image bearers, we are a people who communicate. God communicates, and then God creates with his word, and then he creates people who communicate with their words and even create with their words. They create with their words. If you want to build a house, what are you going to do? You're going to communicate the design. You're going to communicate the materials. You're going to communicate the building code. And all of this communication is going to be leading to the building of the structure. You can see the image of God in that. If, if you are a creative person and you have a business that you run and you have a product that you're developing or a service that you're offering and then you have people that are working for you, what are you doing? You're communicating the mission. You're communicating the product. You're communicating the service and this is all leading to the creation of something including the creation of wealth. This is a God-like thing to do. How does God create wealth, he speaks it into existence. He just made it with his words. And so those of you, well, all of us, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're communicating one way or another. In your home, with your children, with your spouse, and so on. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that the ability to use words properly is godly. It's godly. And it is one of the most important skills you can learn. Using words properly is one of the most godlike things you can do. Use words properly. And then what do we learn about the devil in Genesis chapter 3? Well, we learn that the devil is, he apes Christ, he mimics Christ, he's a fake, he, he presents himself as the fake God, the fake word of God. And how does he deceive the man and the woman, the woman specifically? How does he deceive the woman? With words. And so you, you get to the realization as you look at the first few pages of Scripture that using words properly is the most godlike thing you can do, and you, one of the most godlike things you can do, and using words improperly is one of the most satanic things you can do. Speaking is important. Communication is important. 
And communicating properly is one of the most godlike things you can do. It will make or break your entire life, and especially your home. It affects everything. James, St. James understood this concept. And he says in James chapter 3, verse 3 through 8, I read it, it's worth seeing how serious this is. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Just the little bit and the horse guide the whole horse. Look at the ships. You ever seen one of those great ships? You go up to Godridge, you see the salt mines and the big lakers coming out of the salt mines in Godridge. Massive lakers. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. It's the little rudder at the back, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member of your body, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, when it is used improperly, is set on fire by hell and then sets your wor world on fire. Set on fire by hell and sets your world on fire. The tongue is most important. And so I'm here today to talk to you about loving your wife, loving your husband by proper communication because I don't want your home to be on fire. I want your home to resemble Eden as much as possible. And if your home is to resemble Eden, it is largely going to come by learning to use words the way God designed words to be used. So I'll give you four scriptural imperatives as it pertains to your use of words in your home. Number one, listen attentively. Number two, speak sparingly while you listen attentively. Number three, speak honestly while you listen attentively. You see what I'm doing here? I think the most important aspect of communication is listening. Number four, speak sensitively while listening attentively. So there's four imperatives from Scripture. And I hope that this sermon is, serves you by teaching you to discipline your tongue even better that this sermon serves your home by helping you build and invest in your home with the proper use of your words, the proper use of your tongue. That you will learn to discipline your tongue only to use it for good. This will, this will make or break you as a person, but it'll make or break your home. 
Let me start with my first point. And my first point is listen attentively. Listen attentively. This is the first part of communication. And, and listen, when I talk about, and you can practice this when you're listening to a sermon, by the way, listening attentively. But you can practice this when you're in school. Some of you in school and you like to daydream. Well, this is training your mind as you learn to listen to your teacher attentively. And this will help you in all of life. But listening attentively isn't just listening attentively. Listening attentively involves communicating that you are listening attentively. It's one thing to listen attentively. It's another thing to communicate to the person you're listening to that you, yes, indeed, are listening attentively. So they leave the conversation satisfied and confident that they've just been listened to attentively. James chapter 1, verse 19 speaks to this. This should be a Bible verse that you all should memorize. This is one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So why am I listing this point of listening attentively as the number one point and then repeating it in every other subsequent point in the sermon because this is the one thing that James tells us to do quickly when we communicate. Slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to listen. Quick to listen. And I'll add to that, and I think I'm going to develop this in this point. Not just quick to listen, but quick to communicate that you're listening. And your mother might have told you this. I'm pretty sure mine did. That God gave you what? Two ears? How many mouths? One. Why is that? In the wisdom of God, I think it's likely because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. Is that the rule of your life? That you listen twice as much as you talk? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Like if you were to evaluate your life right now and just hit pause on everything in this sermon and you were to say what percentage of words do you intake compared to what percentage of words do you output? What would the ratio be? And that might indicate how effective of a communicator you are. Well, what type of word, how many words are you outputting compared to how many words are you intaking, especially when you consider you have two ears and one mouth? Slow to speak, or sorry, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I, I think just for the sake of wisdom and teaching you what understanding someone is, and I'm going to get to the issue of understanding in a minute, but I think this involves, if you're communicating that you're listening, this involves intentional eye contact. So especially if you're married and your wife's trying to talk to you and if you're on your phone, that's not a good thing. This might be helpful for you. One of the things I've really tried to discipline myself in, and I've asked my small group to help me with this is, is when I get home and when the family's around, that the phone is not even within reach. So it's not taking away from my family. 
It is a massive distraction. And I, and I would encourage that. Like, you really, there shouldn't be any phones at the dinner table. Because it's a distraction from the conversation. The dinner table is the place where really you're teaching your kids to have conversations. And so there should be eye contact. You know, you're not watching TV. You're not looking at the phone. You're, you're engaging, but you're not just engaging. You're communicating that you're engaging. This is the... The whole idea of communication is the communication that you are engaging. It's an honest communication that, yes, indeed, you're engaged in the conversation that's going on. You don't want to give the impression that you're on the edge of your seat just waiting to say the next thing that comes to your mind. You ever been in a conversation with someone like that? You're talking, and you know what they're doing. They're waiting for a minute they can interject so they can say the next thing that's on their mind. That's not good communication. You're patiently trying to absorb what's being said and you're communicating what's being said. You want to, while listening, communicate that you are listening slowly and you are considering what is being said. Not just listening slowly, not just considering, that, not just considering what's being said, but communicating that you are listening slowly and you are considering what's being said. That's not always easy. Not easy. And if you have a, a quick mind where you, you can get into a conversation and you can know what somebody's saying even before they finish the first sentence, which some of you might have, this takes extra discipline because you've got to learn to be patient. Some of you will get into a conversation and you know what's being said within, within half a sentence. You know where this is going. You can tell. But proper communication still means you take the time to absorb, to listen, and to um, reflectively communicate that you understand. Now, I find it, I, I found it, I'll just give you a little piece of advice that I've learned. I've found it very helpful in communicating that I am listening. If I want to communicate that I am listening, I found this very helpful, and I've also found this very helpful to de-escalate things, if things are starting to ramp up and to just de-escalate, is if somebody says something to you, especially your wife or your husband, to listen, absorb, and then to ask the question, if I understood you correctly, is this what you're saying? and then repeat it in your own words. Man, that is so helpful in communicating that you're understanding. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What are you doing there? You're spending energy not just listening, but communicating that you sincerely want to understand. And so it's not enough for you to say, I understand. What you have to do is you have to say, well, if I understood you right, is this what you said? And then if he or she says no, then what you do is, we'll say, can you repeat that? Because I'm not totally understanding. If they say yes, then that's a win. Now you got a big winner. But if it's a no, then now you got to ask some more questions until you get it. But don't offer your thoughts in a, especially a tense conversation, but in a lot of conversations on serious issues until you 
have communicated that you are under, that you have communi- not just understood, but communicated that you've understood, and you're 100% sure, not just that you understood, but you're 100% sure that the person you're communicating with understands that you've understood. That's the big thing. It's one thing to understand. It's another thing to make sure that the person you're communicating with understands that you've understood. And that comes by asking questions. That comes by digging deeply. And you have to understand, or sorry, understanding people involves skill, effort, and patience. So if you look at Proverbs 20, verse 5, I'll put it up there on the board or the screen. This is, this is where, really where I'm getting this from. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You want to ensure that you understand what is in the heart, not what you think is being communicated. So what is this telling us? The, the heart is what you want to understand. You don't want to just understand the words. You want to understand the heart behind the words. And the heart is like deep water. It's like a well. You ever see the old movies where they have to put the bucket deep, deep, deep down in the well and they got to draw the water out of the well? It's deep waters. Well, that, that takes a lot of effort to get the bucket deep, deep, deep down in the well and then they get the bucket back out of the well and then they have the fresh water in the bucket. And so... If you look at communication like that, what you're looking at communication is, is it's, it's a mining enterprise. You're mining the depths of another person's heart, so you don't just understand the words, but you understand what's deep in the heart, and then you communicate that you understand what's deep in the heart. So that the act of communication, according to this passage, Proverbs 20, verse 5, involves strenuous effort. Great understanding, great skill, great work. And you are intentionally doing your best to not just mine out what's in the other person's heart, but beyond that, you're doing your best to communicate that you have mined it out, and then you're doing your best to make sure that the other person understands that you've mined it out. And you'll learn how to do this better the better you get to know someone. It becomes easier the more you get to know somebody and the more you work on this. But this has to be done. And the longer you are married, um, I think the less you have to work on this, the easier it becomes. But if you're newly married, this, this is an effort you're going to have to put into it. Or if you've been married for a while and you've never done this, this will be an effort. Because you might have been communicating in a frustrating way for decades maybe. And you're going to have to undo some of these things and undo some of the assumptions that you've made and put, start putting in the effort of mining your wife's heart or mining your husband's heart so that when you're in the process of communication, it's not just what's being said, it's actually doing the hard work of digging under the earth and trying to figure out the heart behind what's being said because sometimes when people say things, the words come out funny or sometimes people say things clearly and you hear it funny. And so it takes an effort to, and so it's like I said earlier, what, what do you want to do? Well, if, is this what you said? If this is what I understand that you said, am I correct in, in my understanding? No, you're not. Okay, well, then you're going to have to help me because I don't understand. And then it's just a patient, drawn-out thing. And then finally you get to the point, you say, is this what I understood you to say? And then, oh, yes, it is. Oh, good. That, that now we've won. Now we've won. The effort has been worth it. So communication goes like this. It goes from the heart to the words to the ears 
to the mind of the person that's being communicated to. It's a process, and things can be lost in one of those transitions. It can be lost from the heart to the words. It can be lost from the words to the ears, and it can be lost from the ears to the mind. And so there's a number of things that are going on in that process. Even in, even in studying and trying to understand what God says, the, the, theo, or the, this, the term that they teach us in seminary, if we're trying to understand the text of Scripture, is a, term, is a fancy term called exegesis. And, and, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to exegete the text. And there's entire courses taught in seminary on trying to understand properly the Word of God. So you're not making your own interpretation and shooting from the hip as you go along. And so if we put in the effort to understand God's Word, as we should, and interpret God's Word properly, we should certainly be putting in the effort to understand each other's words properly is a sign of respect to those who are, communi- or who are built in the image of God. The listener must do the difficult job of getting behind the words into the heart. And sometimes this is like, often this is like mining out gold from a mine shaft or drawing water from the depths of a well. Before I move on, I want to look at one more passage from Scripture, and that's 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Which says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So you might be thinking to me, boy, that sounds like a lot of work. Why would I do that? Well, one of the reasons you would do that, it says, live in understanding with your wife, is so that God will actually hear your prayers. Because if you're not living in understanding with your wife, God's not hearing your prayers, according to that text. Your prayers are hindered. It's, you, listen... There's a direct correlation between you trying to understand your wife and listening to your wife and God listening to you. So if you're not listening to your wife properly, the scriptures are telling you that God's not listening to you. This is a major motivator in the effort that you need to put forward. And so maybe, have you ever, have you, have you gone years without answered prayer? Have you? Maybe ask this question. Have you listened to your wife properly? When I say listen to your wife properly, I'm not saying do what your wife says all the time. I'm saying understand her. Understand her. And communicate that you understand her. And if you don't do that, your prayers will be hindered. So this is the most important aspect of communication, is to listen attentively. Ensure that you've understood what's being communicated, and then communicate that you've understood it, so that the person understands that you've understood it. You want to listen in a way that invites more communication. You do not want to listen in a way that shuts down future communication. You can listen in a way that will shut down future communication so people will just give up on talking to you. If if you talk a lot, if you interrupt a lot, it's very demoralizing to the person that's trying to talk to you. And it frustrates them on the inside to the point it's not even worth the effort. Why would I keep talking if so-and-so doesn't want to listen to me? And so one of the ways that you want to communicate or listen in is you want to listen in a way that invites further communication. And this is a great effort you need to do. 
You don't want to listen in a way that shuts down communication. Your wife shouldn't be afraid to communicate concerns or corrections, neither should your husband be afraid to communicate concerns and corrections. You've got two ears, you've got one mouth, and this is the most important part of communication is listening. My next points will be a little shorter. This was the most important one, so I spent the most amount of time on it. My second point is, is this. You're supposed to listen attentively and then speak sparingly as you listen attentively. I'm, I'm repeating this as you listen attentively thing because I really think this is the most important part and this is one that people struggle with. When you speak, less is more. When you speak, less is more. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You need to speak sparingly. Have you ever met someone that talks and talks and talks and talks and then unloads on you and you leave the conversation and you're like, what was that? What just happened? And you don't even, you don't even remember what they said. Because it was just, this, this is, I have a, I have a very, I, I, I think, a, a very articulate term for this. It's called verbal diarrhea. <laughs> they just open their mouth and it shoots out. And it does nothing but stink. You need to communicate sparingly because if you don't communicate sparingly, people will not listen to you. Nothing is accomplished and it's nothing but a stinking mess. Some are very naturally verbose. You must be careful. And if things aren't tense, lots of words can make them tense. And if things are tense, more words will make them more tense. The Puritan Richard Steele said this to wives. She should beware of an excess in the quantity, speaking of her words, not preposterously interrupting her husband while he is speaking, nor answering ten words for one. Now, he never addressed men for this problem. I don't know why, but the same principle applies for men. Not interrupting, going out of your way to listen, and not answering ten words for one. Sparingly includes not, by the way, sparingly includes not talking to more people than need be. Sparingly includes not talking to more people than need be. Some will gripe. Some, some, some women, will, they'll get frustrated with their husbands. Instead of going to their husbands, they'll go gripe to their girlfriends or their sisters or their mom. That is a very foolish thing to do. Or the guys will get frustrated with their wives and they'll go gripe to their buddies at work and trash talk their wives. Well, that's a dumb thing to do because... Not only is it dishonorable, not only is it demeaning, not only is it painting your spouse in a bad light, but one of the things that it's doing is if you're mad at your husband and you go gripe to your girlfriends and then your husband reconciles with you and you work it out, you're no longer mad at him, but your girlfriends all think he's trash still. So just keep it between you if you can. Sometimes you need to invite other people in for the sake to help, right? But the, just keep those instances at a minimum. As the old folks used to say, don't air your dirty laundry. You ever hear that? My grandma used to say that kind of stuff. Don't air your dirty laundry. What do you put out on the line to dry the clothes? You put the clean laundry on the line. You don't put the dirty laundry on the line. And so, and the Bible condemns people who are whisperers. Proverbs 26, verse 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. 
So if you're going around talking and, and there's nothing productive about it, all you're doing is you're putting more logs on the fire. But the fire needs fuel, and one of the ways that you take fuel away from the fire so the fire burns out is you take words away from the fire. You don't put words on the fire. If you go around and you start yapping and yapping and flapping your gums about your husband or about your wife, it's doing nobody good and it's only doing harm. Now, maybe, maybe you've reached an impasse in your marriage and you need some help and you want to involve a pastor or a close friend in that and you... You know, I mean, these things are acceptable. Every now and then somebody might need a little bit of help. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is for the benefit of the marriage. It's not for venting. You know, I just need someone to vent to. No, you, you, what that means is you, you have low control of your emotions. That's what that means. You should be able to talk things through with the person who has um, offended you, and specifically in this instance your spouse or the person you have an issue with, and talk it through like adults. Because where words are many, transgression is lacking. So speak sparingly. Sparingly. That's my second point. Third point. Speak honestly as you listen attentively. There's a concern always in being tactful. And I'll talk about this as my last point. But being tactful does not mean telling half the truth. You have to be tactful and tell the whole truth. And if you're going to say something, say it as clearly as possible. It's not a virtue to beat around the bush. When God's, if you read the Bible, one thing you notice about God, and if you read the Gospels, one thing you notice about Jesus is they speak clearly and they cut through the garbage. They, they don't mess around. What do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees tried to talk around things. They tried to be political in their communication. They, they tried to appease this crowd and the, that crowd. But God and Jesus Christ cut right through it. They speak clearly. They speak directly. They speak honestly. And we need to learn these skills to speak honestly. There was a day and age where this was considered a virtue. Now it's considered a vice because we're being run by a bunch of people that don't speak honestly. And the people in charge are not honest speakers, and so now it's considered a vice to speak directly. But no, it is a virtue, scripturally. There's an entire class of people who fear truth-telling because they fear man. So you might be this way with your wife or your husband. right? The, you're afraid of your wife's reaction, so you don't want to speak to the truth to her. What's wrong with you? You shouldn't be afraid of your wife's reaction. If she reacts, you know, by spazzing out, that's her problem, not yours. You have the objective to speak the truth. And one of the things that she's going to have to learn is, is if, you, if you speaking the truth to her in a, in a tactful way, but you're speaking the whole truth to her, causes her to spaz out, then she's got to get a grip on her emotions. And one of the ways to help her get a grip on her emotions is don't pander to her emotions in those instances. Or if, if you're a husband, you're afraid of him spazzing out, well, it's the same thing. He's, a, he's emotionally immature. And your words, if you're speaking truly, are, are not the source of his problems when he's spazzing out. His heart is the source of his problems, and your words are simply exposing his heart. 
So listen to that. Just because your wife's talking clearly to you doesn't give you license to spaz out. That means you're a man-child and you haven't figured out how to operate like a man yet who's self-disciplined. And if you're a woman and you're spazzing out when people talk to you clearly and directly and honestly, what you're doing is let, you're letting your emotions control the climate of the house. So get a grip on your emotions and don't pander to people's emotions and talk clearly and honestly to people. We live in a very immature age when people expect everyone to pander to their emotions. And if you don't pander to their emotions, they have a temper tantrum. Because their mothers never taught them to control their emotions. Their fathers never taught them to control their emotions. And if you're not teaching your children to control their emotions, you've got a problem on your hands. You're creating a burden for someone else one day. And so the Bible says, Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. One of the signs of Christian maturity is you speak the truth. Yes, in love, but speaking the truth in love does not mean speaking 50% of the truth. Speaking the truth in love still means speaking the truth. And speaking the truth in love is a sign of Christian maturity. And people pleasers with the fear of man might come across as nice, but they are immature people who do nobody no good. All authentic relationships require truth-telling. Best friendships I have have, have had truth-telling involved both ways. You know, in any marriage, there should be a freedom of communication back and forth. You should not be creating an environment where your wife is tempted to fear your reaction, and you should not be creating an environment where your husband's tempted to fear your reaction. He says something to you, and the room's going to get really cold for about six days. No, there should be an honest, open discussion in all authentic relationships. And if that's not the case, there, you know, there really shouldn't be things that are off-limit to talk about in a marriage. Oh, I just can't talk about that. I can't talk. I got to walk through the. No, honest, honest communication. God hates in Proverbs six verse seventeen a lying tongue. So authentic relationships require truth telling. Now I've just talked about truth telling. That's very important. Speak honestly as you listen authentically. Now here's my final point, because I don't want you to miss this with this emphasis on truth telling. And my final point is, speak sensitively as you listen attentively. Now, I've already made the point. Speaking sensitively, speaking honestly, does not mean lying. It doesn't mean speaking half the truth. But it does mean being careful and thinking before you say it. I'll give you some principles from Scripture. Proverbs 29, verse 20. You should think before you say it. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Some things are not worth saying. And in fact, some things you're emotionally worked up about them and you want to say them, and if you just wait 24 hours, they won't be as big of a deal for you sometimes. Is it really worth saying that? Something, it's just, something's just not worth dealing with. And it requires maturity to figure out what's worth dealing with and what's not worth dealing with. Proverbs 13, verse 3 is similar. It says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. 
You see, if you're unguarded and unrestrained in your words, you will ruin yourself, you'll ruin your home, you'll ruin your marriage. You, you have to get a bridle on your tongue. Proverbs 17, verse 27, here's another thing. Don't say, along these lines, everything you think. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. The, right, the, the people that get themselves in trouble are the people that speak emotionally. They get all, it, it wells up inside them and they just got woof. That is not a wise person. The wise person can thoughtfully get, what out, get out of his mouth what he needs to get out of his mouth or get out of her mouth what she needs to get out of her mouth and then be done with it. Don't say everything you think. And sometimes the only reason you're thinking it is because you're emotional in the moment. You're sleep deprived or you're hungry maybe. Sometimes a good meal and a good sleep can go a long way. Be intentional by speaking kind words to people. And especially when you're married. Speaking kind words. Proverbs 16 verse 21 the wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Verse 23 of Proverbs 16, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And so, you know, just as I said in my previous point that you should speak honestly and truthfully, well, part of speaking honestly and truthfully, truthfully is saying sweet things. Right? Like it's, if, if you really love your wife, you should be expressing that to her. And you should be expressing to her the things you love about her. And if you really admire and respect your husband, you should be expressing that to him. And you should be expressing to him the things you admire and respect about him. The part of speaking honestly is just that there's, there has to be a sensitivity to the person. This isn't just the person you're constantly correcting. Right? But this is a relationship. This is a living human being who your desire is to build up and encourage and strengthen and, and, and speak loving and sweet words to. And this adds to the love that is within the marriage. I've talked about this before. Don't speak in anger. Proverbs 15 Verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. If you're feeling the blood just boil, it's better just to take a walk or go for a car ride. Unless you struggle with road rage, but typically you just go for, a, <laughs> go for a walk or go to the gym or something. Go for a run. Burn off the steam. Why don't you cool down then deal with the issues. But if you have red in your eyes, and steam coming out of your nose, it's not the time. I, I think one of my favorite passages in Proverbs, in the whole Bible about communication actually would be, and I think about this passage often, is Proverbs 25 verse 11. And there's so much in this passage. Really, we should do a whole sermon on it. Proverbs 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Let's dwell on that for a moment, shall we? This is speaking of the right word, the right way, the right time. You're speaking sensitively. 
You're, see, it's not just the words you choose. It's the presentation of the words. It, it's not like if you ever host people and you've been to someone's house. It's not just the food you serve. It's the presentation of the meal. Right? There's, there's a structure. There's a thought. There's a adorning to the words. This is something people miss in our modern world where so much is simply pragmatic. And you look at a, a new building that's being constructed and you're like, what nightmare did that come from? Whereas you look at some of the older buildings and so much is, there's a lot of emphasis that's put on beauty and quality. The, the older generations understood this better than we do. It's not just about getting the words out, it's about getting them out in a way that is appealing. And again, that's not withholding the truth. But this is picking the right words, the right way, the right time. Apples of gold, there's your right word, put in a setting of silver. There's the right way the words communicated at the right time. Right? Like, if you say, do this, or if you say, would you mind doing this? There's two different contexts, right? Both are appropriate at different times. If the kids are getting rangy, and they're fighting, and some order needs to be brought into the house, standing there and saying, would you please do this? typically doesn't work. That's when it's the do this. But, you know, if you're really thirsty or hungry and you would like uh, some food and you'd like to know how to get some food or maybe you'd like someone to get some food for you, maybe you'd like your wife to make dinner, Telling her, do this, doesn't go over well, guys. But honey, I love the food that you make. Would you mind making that again this afternoon? <laughs> right? It's so good and so satisfying. See, there's a difference. What, I, see, what I'm trying to say is that you employ... Different ways, and, and, but I think in our, in our soft generation, what people are doing, I think they're employing the soft words when they need to employ hard words, and they're employing hard words sometimes when they need to employ soft words. They're speaking delicately when they need to be speaking harshly, and they're speaking harshly when they need to be speaking delicately. Both have their place. And you have to be able to discern this, and you, the way you discern this is you see how God speaks. In what context did Christ speak very sharply, and what context did Christ speak very delicately? And both need to employ, be employed. And I would say typically in a marriage, it's, it's the delicate way of communicating the truth. Not everything needs to be said right now. Not everything needs to be said a certain way. But you always need to be thoughtful. The right words, the right way, the right time. The right words, the right way, the right time. So I've given you four admonitions, four exhortations. 
commandments on communication. Listen attentively. Speak sparingly as you listen attentively. Speak honestly as you listen attentively. And speak sensitively as you listen attentively. And I've really emphasized the listen attentively part. And this really has to become second nature to you as you try to build up your home. I'll be honest, I was very loose with my words before I was married. And then I finally realized that I had to figure out how to employ my words properly. And I did as a young married man. And I learned, by God's grace, restraint and discipline in how I use my words early on in our marriage. And that's been a great help to us. And it was simply, like, this doesn't seem like complex stuff. And it shouldn't be. These are four simple principles. If you just employ these when you speak and you have this filter that catches things, and this is the filter, these four principles, then you'll, it'll serve you very well in all areas of life, especially in your home. You need to discipline your ears and you need to discipline your tongues, especially if you want your marriage to flourish. Let's have prayer together. Father in heaven, we pray for your blessing upon all who are here and teach us to be good communicators, we pray. Give us great wisdom and please help us. Help us to use our words properly in Christ's name. Amen.